Well, good morning, church family. I want to invite all of you all to stand and open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4 is what we've been reading. We've been going through the book of Nehemiah over these past several weeks in this summer series of building a foundation of revival and worship. And we're going to read here Nehemiah chapter 4 verses 1 through 15. This is God's word for God's people. Here in verse 1 of chapter 4 of Nehemiah. When Samballot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious. He mocked the Jews before his colleagues and the powerful men of Samaria and said, what are these pathetic Jews doing? Can they restore it by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they ever finish it? Can they bring these burnt stones back to life from the mounds of rubble? Then Tobiah the Ammonite, who was beside him, said, Indeed, even if a fox climbed up what they are building, he would break it down, he would break down their stone wall. Listen, our God, for we are despised. Make their insults return on their own heads, and let them be taken as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt, or let their sin be erased from your sight, because they have angered the builders. So we rebuilt the wall until the entire wall was joined together, up to half its height, for the people had the will to keep working. When Samballot, Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites and Ashdodites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem was progressing and that the gaps were being closed, they became furious. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw it into confusion. So we prayed to our God and stationed a guard because of them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of the laborers fails since there is so much rubble. We will never be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they won't realize it until we're among them and can kill them and stop the work. When the Jews who live by near arrived, they said to us time and again, everywhere you turn, they attack us. So I stationed people behind the lowest sections of the wall at the vulnerable areas. I stationed them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord and fight for your countrymen, your sons and daughters, your wives and homes. When our enemies heard that we knew their scheme, and that God had frustrated it. Every one of us returned to his own work on the wall. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this incredible day. Lord Jesus, it's a new day that you've given us. And we ask that now through your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us through your word. That you would bring strength and encouragement, conviction of sin, conviction of righteousness and judgment. Lord, that you would bring healing and wisdom and insight and that we truly would be a people who are building a foundation of revival and renewal through the power of Holy Spirit so that you, Jesus, are glorified. Father, give me your words that I would say only what you want and nothing else. And we ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Well, it is a pleasure having all you all here with us this morning. Those who are joining us online, welcome. If you see a couple people down front who aren't social distancing, that's my family. So we're good. 
So just want to let you know, as we were singing, I was like, man, we're all bunched together right here. I hope no one is like really counting how far apart we are. But anyway, we're so glad you're here to join us. And I know it's been a rainy morning, but the ground needs the rain. And one of my great prayers for us is that he would rain his spirit, his love upon us this morning. As I mentioned before we prayed, we're going through the book of Nehemiah. And during this summer series, we're looking at how God wants to develop and create and build in us a foundation of revival and renewal of the Holy Spirit so that Jesus is glorified. And over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the cupbearer of the king of Persia. And he had been serving in the king's court. And being the cupbearer, he was one of the closest confidants of the king. And when some of his fellow Jewish brothers came back from Jerusalem, which is almost a thousand mile distance to travel, he asked how things were going in Jerusalem and Judea. And they said, we are in disgrace. Our people are in disgrace. And I want to encourage you, go back and read Nehemiah 1, chapter 1, 2, and 3, and then coming up to 4. But when Nehemiah heard that news about how his people were doing, he responded in prayer and repentance and confession and worship and fasting. And he did that for four months. And he began to pray and God began to instill in him a vision to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. And being the king's cupbearer, one of the greatest things that he had on, in his hands was actually the life of the king because he was in charge of everything the king drank. And the king had to trust his cupbearer completely. And so the king knew there would be no small, simple task to let Nehemiah leave and then find a new cupbearer. But Nehemiah prayed, the opportunity opened up. He asked the king with boldness and humility to go, which the king allowed him to go. The king actually gave him resources and authority, cavalry, infantry to go with them to protect them. And Nehemiah came back, he inspected the wall, and then they began to rebuild it. And if you read chapter 3 of Nehemiah, which we skipped chapter 3 from last week, you see over 40 family groups began to build the wall. And I'll go ahead and tell you, it took only 53 days for the wall to be rebuilt. That is a fascinating and incredible supernatural feat. And archaeologists have found parts of this wall where it was three meters wide. That's more than three yards wide in, in ancho and in, in width and depth. That's a powerful, powerful, powerful feat of accomplishment that they did. But right here in chapter four, and we're going to look at it today, they faced great opposition, they faced great struggle. And they truly were in danger of being killed and destroyed by all the various people groups that lived around Jerusalem. There was struggle on the out and also struggle and division from within, which is what we'll see. And as a Christian, as believers, I know you guys know this. If we want to live a godly, holy life, we will face persecution. We will face trials. We will be attacked. Life is not easy. But as we sang earlier, God, we sang that he be the king of our heart. He is the mountain we run to. He is our song. He is our breath. He is the fountain that we drink from. He is our great and awesome God who does great things. So we need to run to him and allow him to live in and through us. Before we get started, I want to read something to you. I want to describe something that happened to somebody. You guys know who this person is, but I want to read some incredible, significant events in this person's life. And I want to see if you can guess who it is. At age 22, this person failed in their first business venture. At age 23, they ran for the state legislature and failed and weren't elected. At age 24, they tried to start a new business and this person failed at this business again. And so then this person decided to go back into the electorate to be a state legislature again, 
and was, not ele- and was elected that time. However, at age 26, this person's sweetheart, their love of their life, passed away. At age 27, this person was diagnosed with a nervous breakdown. At age 29, this person decided to run for Speaker of the House in their state and lost. At age 31, this person decided to run to be in Congress and lost. At age 34, this person decided to run for Congress again and lost. At age 37, this person decided to run for Congress again. Hard-headed, no? Determined, huh? Decided to run for Congress for a third time at age 37 and won. At age 39, this person ran again for Congress to be reelected and lost. At age 46, this person decided to run for Senate at age 46 and lost. At age 47, this person decided to run for vice president and lost. At age 49, this person decided to run for Senate again and lost. From age 22 to 49, defeat after defeat after defeat, failure after failure after failure, loss. At age 51, this person was elected president of the United States. Who was it? Abraham Lincoln. If not the greatest, one of the greatest presidents we ever had. And after trial and failure and trial and failure, can you imagine how would you have been if over 20, almost 25 years of life, almost everything you put your hands to failed? You were rejected. It fell apart. You even lost a loved one. And yet he persevered and persevered and persevered. And I don't think there's any of us here that would deny the fact that God used him powerfully for the history of our country and the freedom of slavery and the emancipation of it. Look at how God used this man. How would you have responded through all the trials and tribulations leading up to becoming president? Going to Nehemiah here in chapter 4, and we're going to open our Bibles back up to Nehemiah chapter 4. We see right here, Nehemiah here in verse 1, of chapter 4, it says this, when Sam Ballot, and we, we've seen this na- person's name before in the past, when he heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became what? Furious. And he mocked the Jews before his colleagues and the powerful men of Samaria. Samaria was the region just north of Jerusalem and Judea. And he mocked the Jews. And look at what he says. What are these pathetic? Say pathetic. Oh, say it louder. Say Pathetic. Pathetic, these pathetic Jews doing. Can they restore it by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they ever finish? Can they bring these burnt stones back to life in this mound of rubbish and rubble? And then it says that Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. He said, even if a fox climbed up on the wall of the rebuilding, it'll tear the wall down. These men are mocking the Jews. They're mocking who they are ethnically, their faith, and they're mocking the work that they're doing. And these are the leaders of the people groups around them. And they're mocking them and they're threatening them. And they actually say some truth. Can you truly build? What happens when a building of brick is burnt? They take those stones, they take those bricks and they have to throw them away. They're useless. And yet they see what the Jews are doing. They're actually rebuilding the wall with the rubbish. But what they do not know is that this God is a God who can open rivers 
open seas and walking on dry land. They do not know in the future that this God incarnate will actually walk on water and turn water into wine and bring dead people back to life. They do not know the God of, of, who is Yahweh himself. But they're mocking the Jews and they're threatening the Jews. And how does, has, how does Nehemiah respond in verse 4? Listen, our God, for we are despised. Make their insults return on their heads and let them be taken as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt and let their sin be erased from your sight because they have angered the builders. I love the Old Testament. Sometimes it can be very hard to understand. And some of these prayers right here in Nehemiah and in the book of Psalms, you're like, wow, man, that's a prayer of vengeance. But if you've ever lived where there truly is danger, you get in touch really quick with your heart and prayers of desperation. Having lived in Mexico where there truly was cartel violence, we began to pray and ask the Holy Spirit. And we began to ask God, God, you're sovereign. And you know exactly if these men and women in the cartel, if they're going to repent, then press them hard that they would repent of their sin and come to know you, Jesus. But because you're sovereign, you know if they're not going to repent. And if they're not going to repent, we ask that you would judge them now and get them out from all the destruction they're doing. In the same way, Nehemiah is praying even greater prayers. They are truly being threatened with their lives. And they begin to pray, and we're called as believers to pray for our enemies and to bless those who curse us. We need to pray for enemies. But we need to understand that our enemy is not the person in front of us who is against us or who believes differently. Our enemy is the evil one, Satan himself, and the demons behind the principalities and the strongholds that are working in this world. And we need to pray against them. And there's two things that Nehemiah and his people do here in this passage here. The first thing they do when they're confronted with evil and with persecution is they pray. And they don't just pray a quick little prayer. Oh, God, they truly pray and ask for a miraculous hand to move mightily in their lives, spiritual protection. So that's the first thing is prayer. And I know as Christians, we know we're supposed to pray. I know we're supposed to pray, but do we truly live a life, I mean, of hardcore, fervent prayer, asking God to move mountains? So that's the first response. But then the here in verse six, look at what it says in verse six. So we rebuilt the wall until the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had the will to keep working. How did they have the will? That will comes from our heavenly father. He is the one that wills and works in our lives. But it's our role to humble ourselves and give ourselves over and allow ourselves to be in his hands to mold and shape us the way we're supposed to. So the second step that Nehemiah does in this threat of violence and being attacked and being persecuted, the first step is what? Prayer. The second step is action. Now, when I lived in Mexico, I was constantly made fun of because I'd make up new Spanish words that didn't exist. Our life group, our Spanish life group, they laugh at me because I'm always inventing stuff. Is that not right, Samuel? Inventing words, diosidencia. I use it all the time. God thing. There's no such Spanish word as diosidencia, but it's diosidencia, a coincidence, and that's diosidencia. I made it up in Mexico. Well, I've made up a new word, praction, prayer and action. Nehemiah and his people responded with praction. I had to make a t-shirt, praction. They responded with prayer and action, obedience to the Lord. They stayed faithful to what God called them to do, rebuild the wall. They humbled themselves in prayer and they continued 
following of the Lord and action obedience. What happens? Here in verse 7, look at what, what happens. When Sambalat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, Ammonites, and Ashdodites, ooh, those are some words, huh? Heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem were progressing and that the gaps were being closed, they became, and here's that word again, furious. They became enraged. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw it into confusion. So the intensity of the persecution and the threats grows and increases. How does Nehemiah respond? Verse 9, So we prayed to our God and stationed a guard because of them day and night. Stationed a guard. Spiritual warfare. Paul commands us in the New Testament to put on the full armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the sword of the Spirit, the shield of faith, shackling our feet with the gospel of peace. Jesus commands us to be alert and watch and watch and be alert. He told his disciples the night when he is betrayed, he said, could you not stay awake for me for one hour and pray? The, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We will be tempted and tried and attacked in every way. I would say most, if not all of us, have been pressed into the wine press is what we sang last week over these past several months. Life has changed. Life is hard. Our future is not sure. And as North Americans, we are getting pressed down in a new, fresh way. And my fear is, is that we'll clench our fists and we'll shake them towards, towards heaven in complaint and in criticism, and in bitterness of soul, instead of opening our hands and bowing to the knees, saying, Lord, have your way in my life. It's for your glory, Jesus. Spiritual warfare. Are you living in a way where you are alert and alive, watching for the attacks of the evil one? Nehemiah set watchmen on the, on the walls to watch day and night. But there's also something else. Look at what happens here in verse 10. In Judah, it was said, the strength of the laborer fails. Since there is so much rubble, we will never be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they won't realize it until we're among them and can kill them and stop the work. Once again, the attacks and threats increase. But did you catch it here in verse 10? Where are the attacks coming from in verse 10? From their very own people, those in Judah we will also have to deal with the issues of brothers and sisters criticizing divisions, gossip, slander, armchair quarterbacks in the church who aren't willing to get involved in the life of the church, but they stand on the sidelines with their arms crossed and all they do is they point out everything that the church is not doing right, but they themselves are part of the church. How do we respond to that? Through prayer, through humility, through service, and a heart of love. We are commanded to bless those who curse us. But we must realize as brothers and sisters, there will be brothers and sisters amongst us who will stir up division and strife and criticism. They will look around at everything that's going on and instead of building up the church, they will want to tear it down. May we never be one of those. How does Nehemiah and the people respond? Here in verse 12, 
It says here, when the Jews who live nearby arrived, they said to us time and again. How do they say it? Time and again. Everywhere you turn, they attack us. So I stationed people behind the lowest sections of the wall at the vulnerable areas. I stationed them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I made inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid. I want to invite you, open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. And for those who are watching at home, if you have your Bible, open your Bible or just turn your cell phone on to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. These two verses are some of my favorite, I'll just say it, most favorite verses. I know that's horrible English. I love these two verses here. Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25. Hebrews was written hundreds of years after Nehemiah. But it describes what Nehemiah did with the people in Jerusalem. It says he gathered the families and they all had spears and swords and shields and weapons. And that's a physical. They are guarding themselves physically. We do not fight our warfare with the physicalness that we see in Nehemiah. But we are given the sword of the Spirit and shields of faith. But look at what happens here in verse 10, chapter 10, verse 24, where the author of Hebrews tells us, he says, And let us watch out for one another. What? Watch out for one another. In the same way that Nehemiah stationed people in the low parts of the wall. And we'll see it here in a minute where he said, if you hear the trumpet sound on the other side of the city, come to where the sound is. We are commanded as brothers and sisters, it says, to watch out for one another, to provoke. Some translations say spur, like spur of a boot of a cowboy boot. You spur the, the horse to run. We are to provoke one another to what? to division and to slander and to chaos and to anger, right? Absolutely not. We're to provoke and spur one another on to what? To love and good works, good deeds. And what Nehemiah was doing is he talked to the nobles and to the officials and to the leaders. And he commanded the people to join together in groups. We talk a whole lot about small groups and the importance of small groups. I don't use the example today, but you've seen me many times take one pencil and ask someone to break the pencil. It's easy to do. But if I give you 100 pencils all joined together and say, break it, you can't. There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. We're commanded to join together in small groups to encourage each other, to spur one another on, to provoke each other to love and good works. I know right now during the summer, many of our small groups right now, we're taking a break, so to speak. But that doesn't mean that we don't take a break from joining together in small groups to encourage and spur one another on. For those of you watching us here at your home, here on our live stream, I want to encourage you next Sunday, invite your life group to your house we got to stay within the ordinance of 25 people. But invite some of your friends over and worship together. Christy and I and our kids, we've done that several times when we weren't filming Sunday morning. And it was awesome. But I want you to join with the other people, men and women, to encourage each other, to pray for each other, to provoke one another to love and good deeds. And then here in verse 25, it says, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching. If you turn back to Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 4, we'll close here. Nehemiah tells the officials and he tells the nobles and he tells the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. 
and I tried to put myself in their shoes, if I truly was in a city where we're trying to rebuild the wall and there truly is an attack, I would be so tempted to want to flee. So tempted to want to run. When we're attacked here on this planet right now during this time, what is our response? My prayer is that we would respond with praction, prayer and action. Humble obedience. And Nehemiah commands them, don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord. We need to remember, we're commanded all throughout Scripture, remember the great things He's done. Remember what God has done. And the whole point is, if He did it for them then, how much will He do it for us now? And all we have to do is look at the cross. And that is the sign and symbol that if God did not spare His own Son, yet gave Him up for us also, how much more will He give us all things? And Nehemiah closes here. And fight for your countrymen, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And then here in verse 15, when our enemies heard that we knew their scheme and that God, God, had frustrated it, every one of us returned to his own work on the wall. For homework, read the rest of this chapter. You will see that it is God who does the work. He calls us to walk in humble obedience. And I want you to start adopting this new word, praction. Prayer and action. And what I mean by action is humble obedience. In closing, there's just a couple things. There's two challenges, two questions I want to ask you. I asked these two questions last week. And I want to invite everybody to stand. Worship team, I want to invite you to come back. But in this life, we will face persecution. We will face trials. You guys know it. We're living it right now in ways that we never imagined six months ago. We live in a world where we'll be tempted and tried and there's even struggles against our own sin nature, our own flesh. We do have an enemy, the, lion, the, the devil, who, who roars around like a, like a leon rugiente, like a roaring lion looking to see who he could devour. We will be oppressed. But James, Jesus' brother, writes in James, Blesser are those who are persecuted and who suffer. Because during the persecution, during the suffering, God uses it to mold and shape us. But these are my two challenging questions for you. The first one is this. How are you being discipled? And who are you discipling? Nehemiah did not try to defend the wall by himself. He gathered the people and he organized them in groups to continue to work and at the same time to watch over the city. And we need to have someone pouring their lives into us, discipling us, but we need to be discipling others. That's the first question. The second question is this, and I'll put this up on our Facebook page today. When and where are you experiencing life-giving biblical community? Where and when are you experiencing life-giving biblical community? where you truly are gathered around a group of other believers to spur each other on to love and good deeds. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this incredible day. And Lord, as we're here, we thank you for the great example of Nehemiah, where they truly, and he led a people to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And they lived a life of prayer and action, fraction, 
living a life of humble obedience and yet watching, realizing that their battle was not against flesh and blood. And Father, may we truly spur one another on toward love and good deeds, experiencing true biblical life-giving community where each and all of us are being discipled and discipling. And we ask all these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.